If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for April 23rd, 2017. This is the weekly show that is really pretty much one of the very few places where you can get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a conservative perspective in this crazy, upside-down world in which we now live. In hour number two, our guest is going to be Lee Stranahan. By the way, in case you don't know who hosts this show, my name is John Ziegler. That's why it's called World According to Zig. But Lee Stranahan will be our guest in hour number two. Uh, he's an interesting guy, and uh, we talk about a lot of uh, fascinating things, but mostly he's very well known currently for having been an investigative reporter at Breitbart who left Breitbart to go work effectively for the Russian government doing a talk show for what's called Sputnik, and he's getting a lot of attention for that. He's a friend of mine. We've worked together on the, uh, the Steubenville story, the Steubenville high school football story that got so much uh, publicity in the media blew so badly a couple of years ago. Uh, but he's our guest in hour number two. This is our first podcast in three weeks. And uh, boy, uh, have things changed in just about every way. One of the changes, by the way, is we've got a problem in our studio. So things are going to be doing done a little bit differently uh, this week. We're not particularly happy about that, but hopefully that'll be fixed by next week. At least it better be. Otherwise, uh, this podcast may not last for much longer. But uh, on much more relevant and significant terms, let's see, in the last three weeks since we did a podcast, we have a brand new president. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we have effectively have a new president. I'll get into that because uh, this is not the same president that existed uh, before the last podcast we did, which happened to coincide with my 50th birthday. And then from a stand, a personal standpoint, I have a new kid. Uh, I did, in fact, uh, as I've been talking about for many months, well, I didn't have it. My wife obviously had the child uh, about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we um, were able to welcome a new child, a new baby girl into our family. Uh, Mom is doing great. Uh, the baby girl who we named Diana Carroll. My mom's maiden name was Carol, so she is Diana Carol Ziegler. She's also doing very well. So now we have Mom, Diana and my other daughter, Grace, who you may recall has been a guest on this uh, program. We mention her from time to time. And uh, so I'm, I'm outnumbered now three to one. 
uh, forever and ever. And uh, my life, which was already very screwed, is now completely and totally screwed. Uh, also, uh, with regard to the name, I do find it a bit odd, in case you haven't already figured this out, that I now have not one but two daughters who were named for princesses who were killed in car accidents, which is super weird, especially, one, because <laughs> I spent much of my uh, adult life thinking I would never get married and I hated the whole Disney princess thing, and two, my own mother was killed in a car accident. So there are all sorts of strange things going on with the name, but I had relatively little influence over the name. Interestingly, uh, my wife has only really had one meltdown since the birth of Diana, which is doing really good when you consider how little sleep she's gotten and no, you know, consistent sleep, no, nothing more than two hours at a time, really, with a with a newborn. And my wife is definitely one of those people who desperately needs sleep. I mean, when she doesn't get sleep, she is a monster of epic proportions. But she's only had one major meltdown. She had a few minor ones, but those are to be expected. The, but the only major meltdown was about three or four days after the birth when she couldn't get to sleep and she comes out and I'm still watching television and she comes out of the room and she is convinced that she has made a tragic mistake in naming our daughter, Diana. I'm so afraid. I, I think I got the wrong name. She doesn't seem like a Diana to me. I should have named her Heidi. That, that's the particular cry that she ever, all women have numerous cries, but that's the cry that, that uh, I know uh, she's lost her shit. I mean, she just has no idea what's going on uh, that uh, she has no, no semblance of, uh, or any tie to reality. And unfortunately, I probably told her exactly that. <laughs> Go back to bed. You're not making any sense. I was not particularly sympathetic, as I should have been. And I told her, look, uh, tomorrow you're going to realize that this is insane. And uh, you're going to not want to change the name. Because if we change the name at this point, it's a massive problem. And sure enough, dad was right. Husband was right. Uh, she eventually said, you know what? Uh, let's keep Diana. So... Despite uh, that hiccup, uh, we, we now have Grace and we have Diana. And uh, Mom is doing great. Uh, Diana's doing great. Uh, Grace, not as much. Now, people are much more interested in, in how Grace is doing than, heck, no one cares how I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I'm a distant fourth, and I can't even see third place in my family. But people do seem to care a lot about Grace uh, because Grace is almost five years old. Uh, she's going to be a big sister, but she's also spoiled as hell. Not really from a monetary, you know, although she probably is spoiled from, from that perspective too, but, but mostly from an experiential standpoint. I mean, she gets so much attention from both of her parents, and she's a very pretty girl, and, you know, it's a combustible situation when you have a, a young pretty girl and two parents doting over her or older. And uh, the, the reality is that, you know, Grace, everyone knew, was going to have a difficult time with this. Part of why I wanted to have a second child was, a big part, was because I wanted to basically burst Grace's bubble that the whole world did not revolve around her. And boy, did that bubble burst in a hard way very early on. Uh, we um, went to go visit Mom and Diana in the hospital, and Grace was fantastic. 
I mean, she was the perfect big sister that first visit. In fact, she's so perceptive. We we took a video of her meeting Diana for the first time, and she could actually tell, completely un uh, unprovoked, uh, that her voice sounded different because she was so nervous and excited about meeting her little sister. So that was cool. But then when she had to leave her mom and leave her there with Diana and go home with, you know, the chopped liver that is her dad, oh, my God, all hell broke loose in a – I've never seen – I mean, she's had meltdowns. Every child does. I've never seen a meltdown to this proportion. Now, of course, you know, in the modern age, everything gets videotaped. But it's interesting to point out, and we saw this, I think, with the United Airlines controversy that happened a couple weeks ago. It's important to point out that when people start taping meltdowns, it usually means they've missed the best part because uh, there has to be something to provoke you to start videotaping to begin with. So when we're driving home, you've already missed the worst part of Grace's meltdown. But just to give you a sense of just how hard she was taking this new reality where she was no longer the the only child, this is a very small clip of Grace after an epic meltdown where, I mean, she, she took some chocolate she had and she smeared it all over her hands and her face and threw it all over the car, brand new car. And this was a small clip of of Grace uh, expressing her love and devotion for her dad as dad was driving her away from the hospital and her mom and her new sister, Diana. You want to bite me? Nice. Okay. You hate me. Okay, that's nice too. Anything else? Okay. So that's <laughs> that's uh, that's not promising. Uh, and it's been a roller coaster ride since then. No question that she realizes that uh, her throne is in jeopardy with uh, especially with mom because mom is obviously very connected to the new baby. I mean, literally with breastfeeding and what have you. But I mean, there's no question that there's a bond there that that a dad could never even begin to understand and. And especially since Diana, to be clear, is a miracle baby. I mean, it's a miracle. Oh, well, I guess children are miracles, right? But but there are miracles, and then there's Diana. I mean, my my wife was uh, forty, late forty two when she got pregnant. Convinced she was down to her one last egg. Uh, we were about to go to very dramatic means through fertility clinics to to try to to, to potentially get pregnant when no one really thought it was likely at all, and. Then thanks to my magic sperm, the very last egg got fertilized and she's healthy and looks beautiful and looks just like Grace did. And so, you know, this is a miracle among miracles. So mom is very, very bonded to Diana, which is going to be a problem for Grace because, you know, Grace has been in the, the queen, the princess, the be all end all for, for all of her life. Um, there's been a, uh, you know, every... I'd say every day, you know, it changes. In fact, many times a day from incredible love and devotion uh, by Grace towards Diana at turning very quickly into um, jealousy and cynicism and anger at times. In fact, just this morning, I don't have the videotape because the audio wasn't that good, uh, but I found Grace singing a song, a love song that she made up to Diana 
while no one was really looking. So that was pretty cool. But then, of course, just moments after that, she was pissed off that Diana was getting too much uh, attention. So Grace is going to be a work in progress. But we're, we're hoping for the best. Uh, and I, we, we still think she's going to be a big sister and a great big sister. And this is going to be good for her in the long run. From my perspective, not that anyone cares at all what dad thinks in all this, but I did find it a little interesting, more than a little interesting, really, my reaction to Diana, because it was nothing like my reaction to the first child, Grace. Now, obviously, that's natural. In anything in life, the first time you do something dramatic, it's a way bigger deal than the second time, right? And again, obviously, I'm doing very little in comparison to my wife, but the whole atmosphere was much different. There were no in-laws, no siblings. It was just me and my wife. It was the middle of the night. And um, there there was not nearly the same pomp, circumstance, excitement. I was very happy that she was healthy and mom was healthy and it all went very well. But it was, it was not the same emotional experience. And I, I think it goes beyond this just being the second child, and also me now being 50 years old. I also think it shows what a difference the last five years has made in my life because it's been a rough, psychologically, a very rough five years. And my view of humanity, which was already dismal before Grace came into the world, now is about as bad as it can possibly get. I mean, I really do not like humanity. I despise human beings, almost all of them. I I hate Homo sapiens, I think we are a terrible species. I have a very dim view of reality, where we're heading. Trump's now president. I'm more convinced than ever that eventually this whole country is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't believe in an afterlife. I've never really believed in an afterlife, but now I'm really certain there's no afterlife. So all of that, I think, has contributed to the notion that my excitement level was not nearly as great as it was for Grace. I don't want that to reflect on Diana at all. Diana has nothing to do with it. Um, there was one other element, though, that I did find surprising and also interesting. And that is that I think that part of why I did not have the same bond or so far I've not had the same bond to Diana than I did to Grace five years ago. It's not just because of what's happened over the last five years and I'm in a different place in my life and it's the second child. All that's an important part of it. But I also realized that I was feeling a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of loyalty towards Grace. That I, you know, I've had such a, um, a, I guess, lack of a better term, bonding experience with Grace for the last five years. And now Grace is seeing Diana as a threat and, you know, I don't know Diana at all. I mean, <laughs> she's just a pooping machine. I have no, I have, I don't know anything about her. I don't know what she's going to be like. I, I have, I'm hoping for the best, but all my experiences are obviously with grace. So being a very loyal person, I think subconsciously I have felt almost a little bit defensive of grace in that she, you know, sees Diana as a threat and it's kind of like, well, who's this new person? You know, she hasn't done anything to earn our, our love and affection. Not that that really gets earned, but I think you know what I'm saying. So that was maybe the most surprising thing to me about the second child. That is, I, I felt not a overwhelming, but a tangible impulse to defend Grace. Not really defend her, but to, to embrace Grace in this 
time of crisis, even though she was telling me she was hating me and wanted to bite me. Uh, you know, the, the reality was that I, I did feel as if this was uh, a situation that I did not anticipate. I did not. This, this surprised me. And again, it has nothing to do with Diana. I'm hopeful that, you know, I'll be just as bonded to Diana in a couple of years as, as I am to Grace. Uh, but I did not expect that. And I felt that it was at least uh, worthy of mention. All right. So enough about me and the new kid. Uh, if you're if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, you can find all sorts of pictures and videos of both Grace and Diana, which is all anybody really seems to care about when I post. I mean, what if I post an article I write for Mediate or an opinion I have on something, no one cares. But a picture of Diana or Grace, now we got something. Now we're cooking. Uh, there was a lot of news that occurred over the last uh, three weeks since the last time we did a podcast. And I'm just going to go through the big stories. I'm not going to be able to read, you know, revisit everything because I, I want to keep this to within an hour. Uh, but there were several big ones. And the biggest one clearly in the media world was the end of the Bill O'Reilly era at Fox News Channel. And I wrote a column. I've actually written a couple of columns about this, but I wrote a column about this uh, for Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. That column focused mostly on what I jokingly referred to as the pro-Trump commentator curse that may be going on here because there's been a lot of pro-Trump commentators. I mean, starting all the way from Billy Bush at the end of the election, look what happened to him after the Access Hollywood tape, all the way now to Bill O'Reilly getting fired after Donald Trump had publicly and proactively supported him to the New York Times. On, by the way, his favorite network. I mean, if that's not an indication of how feckless this president is, I mean, his milkshake buddy, a guy he publicly endorses proactively to the New York Times on his favorite television network, gets fired despite 20 years of having the greatest ratings in the history of cable news, and by the way, was still getting the best ratings of his career when he got fired. Now, he got fired because of allegations of sexual harassment. What's interesting about this is that there's been very little out there about what he actually supposedly did. And that always makes me nervous because somebody like O'Reilly clearly is very vulnerable to extortion. He's rich, famous, a right, perceived as a right winger. He's a juicy target. The media hates him. Fox News Channel's already gone through this with Roger Ailes, so there's blood in the water. Now, that being said, none of these allegations surprise me because everybody knows that O'Reilly is a jackass. And it's obvious just from his on-air persona that he has a particular view of women. And it's not just his on-air persona. I mean, kind of what surprises me most about this whole story is how did this not happen many years ago when there was an audio tape that was released involving a lawsuit where O'Reilly's on tape effectively doing all sorts of crazy things with a woman that he uh, seemingly had a, a thing for or or harassed in some way. And, and that was a big story for a short period of time, and then it just kind of dropped. Well, to me, the biggest difference, there are really only two things that changed. The Roger Ailes story happened, which put, as I said, blood in the water at Fox News Channel. And two, O'Reilly went from being like 55 to being 67. And when you're 67, there's not that much of a future to protect in television, especially when you're, you know, old and ugly looking like O'Reilly is. So 
The reality is, back when he was in his mid-50s, Fox News Channel, he was the franchise. They had to protect him because there was this whole big, long future. Now, post-Ales, Ailes' protector is gone. Ailes has created a media narrative about Fox News Channel making them far more vulnerable to this, this allegation that there's this horrendous environment. And by the way, I think that there is a bad environment at Fox News Channel. It's not a surprise when you have almost all middle-aged white males who aren't very good-looking hanging around young women who are selected almost exclusively because of their looks, and you put them on television. Gee, I wonder if something might happen. I wonder if there's going to be some sexual tension there. And if you put O'Reilly, a guy with a massive ego, lots of money, lots of power, and lots of fame, and you put him in charge of attractive women <laughs> coming on his show. Gee, I wonder if something untoward is going to happen. Stunning. No, it's not stunning at all. It's, it's human nature. Not, I'm not justifying it. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. So none of these allegations surprise me, but I do have suspicions that some of this is, is being exaggerated, overblown for either monetary purposes or political purposes. I, you know, when Gloria Allred's daughter is the main lawyer involved, I get very nervous. I don't trust anything that Gloria Allred does, nor do I trust anything that her, her daughter does. But that being said, I'm not a fan of Bill O'Reilly. I don't think he's a conservative. I think he's a ratings whore. I don't think he's a good person. I, I think he's a jackass. I've been on his show twice, once in person. It was like going to meet the Pope. That's basically what it was like. I, and I've been on a lot of television shows. The, I, I, even the Today Show was nothing. Meeting Matt Lauer on the Today Show was nothing like the atmosphere they tried to create to intimidate you on the O'Reilly Factor, where you're brought in and and literally it's like you're getting your audience with the Pope because that's how O'Reilly was viewed there. And that's partially why he was able to get away with this for so long. Now, I actually think that Fox News Channel probably did the right thing from a business standpoint. Once you lose the advertisers, the ratings don't really matter. His ratings are fantastic, but if you can't sell the airtime, sorry. And at 67, it's really hard to see how you turn it around. O'Reilly, though, for his part, did something really stupid. And I had predicted, not really predicted, I'd said it, if I had to bet, I'd say that he was going to survive unless we learned something new came out. And the first column that I wrote for media, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com on this issue. I thought that his street smarts was going to save him because that's how he got to where he is. He's a very street smart guy. He's not particularly talented. He's not funny. He's not that insightful. He's good at being able to tell which way the wind is blowing and how to take advantage of that for ratings. And, but you know, by and large, he's mostly a street smart phony and his street smarts really let him down. Because the biggest mistake he made, one, he didn't fight back hard enough soon enough, but in, but in part, of, part of not fighting back was him going ahead and taking what he said was a predetermined vacation to Italy. Now, maybe it really was planned a long time ago that he was going to take off last week and go to Italy, but you don't go ahead with that when you're in the middle of a crisis. Unless... You've lost your street smarts. Your instincts are dulled. And you still see this happens a lot. This is my theory what happened with O'Reilly. These people are in a bubble. 
these celebrities. They're in a bubble where everybody kisses their ass constantly. And they start to think that their crap doesn't stink and that everybody actually really likes them personally. (laughs) Because after all, when you've had your ass kissed by the same people, basically the same people, for 20 years, you start to think that you're untouchable, that everyone actually really likes you. They've done all these things for you over the years, so it's about you. But O'Reilly clearly didn't realize that once he lost the advertisers, he lost his protection, especially with Ailes gone. And so the analogy I'll make is when he decides to go on that Italian vacation, it's basically like in The Sopranos where an aging, weakened mob boss gets duped into taking a ride in the back seat to a New Jersey swamp. You know that's not going to end well. <laughs> and that's what happened. O'Reilly got convinced. Go ahead, Bill. No, no. You need the time off. Go, go on your vacation. And, and, you know, Italy sounds like a great place this time of year. The reality is possession is nine-tenths of the law. You know, they say that a lot. I mean, it's cliche. But in the media, that's, a, that's clearly true. And if O'Reilly had been on the air last week, knowing firsthand how much trouble he was in. And he then decided to make a play to save his job by fighting back on the air. I think he would have survived this. But he's not on the air. He has no outlet to fight back. By the way, I hear he's going to do a podcast on Monday. Boy, that's that's going to be... That's a great idea, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, who knows what the future holds for Bill O'Reilly. Obviously, he's not going to go away quietly. My guess is that he he probably did get screwed a bit, but it's hard for me to get a whole lot of sympathy worked up uh, for the reasons that I've already mentioned. He's going to be replaced, ironically enough, with Tucker Carlson, who uh, a video came out this week from Carlson back in, uh, I think it was like 2003, 2004, something like that, where he calls O'Reilly a fraud and a phony and that he's acting, which I found pretty funny because he refers to him as like this fake nationalist. And Carlson's now taking over yet another new show. I think this is the fourth new show he's had the Fox News Channel since everyone's gone. Greta Van Susteren's gone. Uh, Megyn Kelly's gone. Bill O'Reilly's gone. And so uh, it's funny to me that Tucker Carlson is saying on this video that, you know, O'Reilly's a phony, he's a fake nationalist. Because that's effectively what Tucker Carlson has become. Tucker Carlson used to be a real conservative, and now he's a pro-Trump nationalist. Now, I know some people who are fairly close to Tucker who think that the transition is real. I'm suspicious of it. I briefly worked for Carlson uh, at the Daily Caller. I got to know him a little bit, didn't like him, didn't trust him. Although I don't like anybody, but you know, I, I've I've had some interesting text messages over the years with Tucker about this issue of the media being fake. Because I tried to convince him in 2012 that the conservative media was a racket that was going to endanger the ability to defeat Barack Obama. And Tucker Carlson was having no part of it. He didn't believe me at all. And then, so when the Trump thing happened, I got back in touch. I said, Tucker, you remember that argument we had back in 2012? Am I not right now? And he still wasn't accepting it. And people forget he was not a Trump guy at the beginning of this whole thing. But he mysteriously, he mysteriously decided, you know what? 
this might be a good idea. It might be a good idea to get on this train. And nobody in the media that I can think of, other than maybe Matt Drudge's bank account and his accountant and his tax guy, uh, you know, maybe some people at Breitbart, have, eh, no, no one at Breitbart has benefited as much from the Trump train as Tucker Carlson. Sean Hannity, maybe, because Sean Hannity had his contract uh, renewed at just the right time after he sold out to Donald Trump. But it's awfully coincidental that Tucker Carlson has this transition to being a nationalist and being pro-Trump just at the right time for him now to be in the perfect place to get the Bill O'Reilly uh, 8 p.m. Eastern slot on uh, Fox News Channel. So, you know, the reality is Fox News Channel is an entertainment network. Uh, they do not care about conservatism, as they proved with their sellout to Donald Trump. And, in fact, I think Fox News Channel, in many ways, is the worst thing that's ever happened to the conservative media with regard, or not to conservatism with regard to the media. I think that Fox News Channel, it's the exact opposite. Most conservatives and Trump cult members will tell you that Fox News Channel is the greatest thing that ever happened. I would submit it's the opposite. For many reasons that I don't have time to get into this week, maybe at another time, I'll probably write a column about this for Mediate, uh, maybe on Monday to coincide with the end of the officially new era the new Tucker Carlson era with Bill O'Reilly being gone. But that that is the reality, that because now everything is focused on Fox News Channel, and Fox News Channel has so much power within the conservative movement, and they do not care about conservatism. In fact, they have an incentive for conservatism to lose. They were very happy with Barack Obama in there for eight years. That's just the reality of the media business. And so... Conservatism outsourced their messaging to a group that had no incentive for conservatism to win. And that was a tragic mistake, although one that was understandable the way that it happened. Speaking of the so-called conservative media, though, I don't like to use the word conservative at all, though others do, some say right wing, in relation to Alex Jones. I wrote another column Again, you can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com about the revelation during Alex Jones's uh, uh, court hearing over whether or not he's going to be able to get uh, custody of his children, a custody hearing. Alex Jones, who is the right-wing conspiracy nut pro-Trump talk show host, was forced to admit in an effort to try to keep his kids that he is an actor. He's a performance artist that it's all a big joke, that it's not real. Interestingly, his wife says that's not true. No, he really is that fucking nuts. <laughs> I'm not sure which is the case, because if he's an actor, he's a really good actor, because he does act fucking nuts. Uh, the reality, though, is Alex Jones is hardly the only performance artist in this business. I would venture to guess that most talk show hosts on the conservative side are actors. And there's a direct correlation between how much success you attain in this business and how much you act. And there's probably an inverse relationship between how little you act and how much success you have. That's based on my experience. And I'm talking at the national level and the local level. And I go through many of the, in the column that I wrote for Mediate this week, I go through many of the national talk show hosts who I believe are acting just like Alex Jones is. And I, in fact, I, I give them a Joker rating 
because because one of the things Alex Jones's lawyer said is that Jones is just like Jack Nicholson playing the Joker, <laughs> which you could take a lot of different ways. Joker is considered batshit crazy, and there's no question that Alex Jones is batshit crazy. It's just whether or not it's an act or not. So check that out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. This week also had a couple of big elections. And one of them, which just happened today in France, it appears as if just as if everyone expected Le Pen, the right wing nationalist, is going to be in the runoff election for the French presidency, which is going to be perceived in the short run as a victory for Donald Trump. He somewhat endorsed Le Pen, although it appears as if she's going to get crushed in the general election. She got about 24%, 23% of the vote. It's not all in yet uh, as of this uh, taping. But uh, it appears as everyone's going to rally around the centrist candidate. And effectively, my guess is that she might end up wishing she hadn't made the runoff uh, because now she's going to get potentially humiliated with a crushing defeat. I don't know what the percentages are. I'm not an expert on on French politics, but it certainly appears as if that the under the current conditions that she's going to lose in the general election, but it's still pretty amazing that she made the, the runoff here in the United States. There was a big election that almost turned out to be an earthquake involving a special election in Georgia for a congressional seat that has been held by Republicans forever and ever. They have a stranglehold on the seat. It's Tom Price's former seat. He had to give it up to become Homeland Security Director. And the reason why this got so much publicity this week was because a Democrat who didn't even live in the district, had no experience, looked like Pajama Boy, he damn near got 50%. And had he got 50%, that would have meant he would have won the race outright. But he didn't. He got about just over 48% of the vote which means there'll be a runoff with a, a female Republican. Most people seem to think that the Republican will now win in the runoff. Trump weighed in on this at the very last minute with several tweets uh, critical of the Democrat. He, of course, took credit <laughs> for the Democrat not winning 50% of the vote, which to me was kind of like an arsonist taking credit for uh, the house fire being put out because they not only set the fire, but they called the fire department like just a few minutes before it was too late. (laughs) But that's Trump. I mean, Trump created the fire. Without Trump, a Democrat is never getting close to 50% in that Republican district in Georgia. But, you know, now Trump somehow gets credit for this, which is just insane. It's insane making, but that's the world of Trump. Uh, So in a weird way, and it's, it's happened so often, The reality is almost the opposite of conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom was, wow, Republicans really dodged a bullet here. And they they probably will win the seat. I think that that's a a sound, although not 100% assessment of what will likely happen in that runoff. But the perception now is Republicans dodged a bullet because that would have really created an earthquake had the Democrat won in that district. I take the opposite view. I think this might have been the worst case scenario for Republicans with regard to 2018 because all the, the, the signs of an earthquake are there, 
but it's not going to be perceived as an earthquake. I mean, what's the difference between this Democrat getting 48.5% or 50 plus one? It's minuscule. It's, a, it's no difference at all, vote-wise. But perception-wise, it's everything. So now Republicans are going to not change their behavior towards Trump. They're not going to realize, most of them anyway, the full extent of the crisis that they are potentially in if things go the way they're currently going with regard to the 2018 midterm elections. So in a weird way, this might end up being the worst thing that ever happens. Well, not ever happens, but the worst thing that could have happened uh, for Republicans when it comes to the 2018 election. But obviously there's a long time to go between now and then. This was a, a really weird week for Donald Trump. And I think it showed just how desensitized we are to how Trump operates and things that normally would create massive firestorms caused barely a ripple. And this works hugely to Trump's advantage. It might be the, the most effective weapon he has is our desensitization. Things that in a prior administration would have made everyone go, what the fuck? With him, we just go, oh, that's kind of weird. All right, let's move on. Uh, perfect example. This week, the president of the United States was effectively the only major international leader to call and congratulate the leader of Turkey, who, by the way, is an Islamist, some say pro-ISIS, for having effectively limited, if not eliminated, the rights of his own people in ending any semblance of democracy there. That he's now effectively a dictator of Turkey. And not only did Trump call and congratulate the Turkish president, the White House admitted to it and put out a press release with the essence of the phone call. Now, why would he do this? Well, it just so happens that Donald Trump, in his own words, quote, has a bit of a conflict of interest in Turkey. You see, he owns, a, in his own words, a very, very, very large building in Istanbul. There's a Trump Tower in Turkey. So you do the math. Trump congratulates pro-ISIS strongman dictator and just happens to have a major building there. Gee, I wonder if those two realities are connected. He's cleaning up the swamp, folks. Draining the swamp. Nothing swampy about that at all. No bad precedents being set there. Nothing we're ever going to come back to be haunted by there. No. What could possibly go wrong? Let's move on. Because, you know, nothing bad happened this week because of it. It's just a phone call. Who cares? Well, eventually we might care, folks. We might care very much. Then when it comes to this never-ending Russia story, we learned this week that, oh, by the way, the FBI, which is involved in an ongoing investigation of possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, got a FISA warrant for surveillance on Trump aide Carter Page who may have been an agent of Russia. And oh, by the way, part of how they got that FISA warrant approved was they used 
the highly controversial Russian dossier with all those allegations in there, including the, the golden shower business, all that, the FBI used that dossier. Which tells you, one, the FBI thinks that dossier is credible, and two, that a court at least didn't think it was lacking in credibility. That's pretty amazing stuff. And I would venture to say, in any other administration, that would have been banner, headline, news, everybody would know about. But with Trump, it's like, oh, yeah, it's already baked into the cake, this crazy world we're living in. I get into this in more detail with our guest in hour number two, Lee Stranahan, who now is effectively working for the Russian government. And I also get into him, get into it with him, what the National Enquirer has been doing on this story. And I, I could be barking up the wrong tree on this. I know it sounds nutty, but I think the National Enquirer is, is up to something. Because once again, this week, their cover story is Trump and Russia. And it's not because they're trying to sell newspapers. It seems to me like they're trying to create a narrative. Now, why are they doing that? They are effectively a mouthpiece for Donald Trump. I don't know what the truth of that story is. I I can't figure it out. But there's something there. There's something going on. I don't know how it's all going to end. It may potentially all peter out. But why is the National Enquirer doing what they're doing? I get into that with our guest, Lee Stranahan, in hour number two of this week's podcast. So that's a really... In a rational world, I want you to take a listen to the highlights of Trump's week. He had his milkshake buddy who he proactively supported against sexual harassment to the New York Times get fired by his favorite television network. He almost lost in a humiliating election in Georgia where a Democrat nearly got 50% of the vote in a highly Republican district. All right? One of his... Favorite talk show host, which is insane to begin with, Alex Jones was forced to admit that he's just a performance artist. <laughs> he congratulates and a, a pro-Islamist, strong-armed, dictatorial president in Turkey because of a conflict of interest he has, and the Russian news that I just gave you. That's a really bad week in a rational world. In Trump's world, eh, eh, let's, well, what's going on next week? Hey, we might be, we might be trying after a, get rid of Obamacare again. Well, maybe we're going to finally get the tax cuts. And that 100-day thing, ah, forget about that 100-day thing. Even though I campaigned on it, put out press releases about what I was going to do in 100 days. Every rally I talked about what I was going to do for 100 days. Now that we're up to that point and I haven't done shit, Ah, that's a ridiculous standard. I mean, Trump has become a new president. He's flip-flopped on everything. Everything. And one of the columns I wrote for Mediate over the last couple of weeks was about how the never-Trump people like myself have been vindicated. I urge you to check it out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Some people were like, wait a minute, why, why are you vindicated? Because he's abandoning all of his promises from the campaign. Specifically China. Remember when China, he was going to go after China, rip up the trade deals. You you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till I deal with China. They're a currency manipulator. I'm going to change the whole world because once they have to negotiate with me, it's going to be all over. Ah, never mind. 
Never mind. They're not a currency manipulator. Actually, they're quite good. They're good people. Trust me. Believe me. And, uh, you know, that's one amazing example. He couldn't have been more uh, clear about not wanting to go into Syria. Tweeted about it over a dozen times. Public statements. It's wrong to go into, into Syria. Well, within 48 hours of his daughter getting upset by, by some horrific pictures in Syria, here we are dropping 59 missiles into Syria, although he told Maria Bartiroma it was Iraq, so he clearly didn't put a lot of thought into it. But So, I mean, that's all it takes to change Trump's mind. Have his daughter get upset about it, and or, and I think this is probably part of that equation, and or he saw it as a good opportunity to create some separation between him and Vladimir Putin. So he was able to kill a couple of birds with one stone there. I don't know. I have no idea whether the strike on Syria was a good idea. I don't know if it was effective. I don't know if it was efficient. I'm not an expert in this. But I do know that it's a complete contradiction of everything he has ever said about Syria. And it definitely helped him create the perception that maybe he's not a Russian stooge. So for those two reasons, I'm highly suspicious of it. And then when you add in Ivanka saying, please, Daddy, we got to do something here, I have very little trust that out of all that, we ended up doing the right thing. Maybe we did. I hope we did. I don't know. But, boy, that's just dropped off the planet now, huh? You don't hear anything about that now. We, we did it. We, got, we, we dropped our bombs. Trump had his fun. He separated himself from Russia. Ivanka you know, gets to tell her friends that, that she's helping these poor children. Let's move on. Let's move on. One other column I want to mention that I just wrote yesterday that, you, again, you can check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com is about how the New York Times is now blaming FBI Director James Comey for Hillary losing. And I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made that they're right, but they left out an incredibly important element of that, and that is how the news media effectively got their hand stuck in the ch- cookie jar trying to squeeze some more drama out of that race when it looked like Hillary had it in the bag when they thought Trump had no chance of winning, so they thought it was okay to go batshit crazy over that Comey letter. What they didn't realize was that Trump was closing, the the race was closer than it appeared, and that because they went bat crap crazy over that letter, a lot of late deciding voters were going to break for Trump. That's something I did not anticipate. I thought the media freakout was unwarranted, and it turned out I was right because that the, he himself had to write another letter a week later saying, never mind, because it was obvious to me from the way the story was evolving that there was nothing really there. And, and one of the more interesting things in the New York Times article is, had the, new, had the FBI known, this is amazing, folks, had the FBI known, according to the New York Times, that they were going to be able to go through all of Hillary's emails before the election, They say they would never have sent out the original letter to Congress. They didn't think they were going to be able to get through all those emails in time. But they were. So imagine that. Had somebody in the FBI realized, hey, we can go through these and a lot of them are going to be duplicates. And because of our computer programming, we can do this in a few days. Had they known that for sure, there's a really good chance Donald Trump is not our president today. Pretty freaking amazing, isn't it? But the media element of this is really important because the media is a bunch of hypocrites. 
If you didn't want Trump to win, maybe you shouldn't have gone bat crap crazy over a non-story. All right? And, and, and this goes into the bigger picture. If the media, you know, media is so upset that they lost all their credibility, we, no one takes us seriously. We're telling them how bad Trump is. No one believes us. Well, gee, I wonder why no one believes you. It's because you've lost all your credibility over the years because you're a bunch of ratings whores. If you wanted to keep your credibility for times when it really mattered, maybe it would have been a good idea, CNN, to not spend three months chasing after a missing Malaysian airliner. Maybe that would have been a good idea. Maybe at some point during that absurdity, you should have said, you know, maybe we're looking like a bunch of idiots. Maybe, you know, yeah, the ratings are good, but maybe we're going to come back to Rue this day because no one's going to take us seriously when we really want them to. Well, that's what happened. And they got what they deserved. And unfortunately, America might have too. A couple other news stories real quick that I want to mention uh, before we're out of time here. I happened to watch the Caitlyn Jenner interview with Diane Sawyer on Friday night on ABC. Caitlyn Jenner, obviously formerly Bruce Jenner, who now has a book out this week and apparently has gotten the final operation. I guess that means that the penis is now gone. The balls are now gone. I hope we don't ever have to hear anything more about that. Jenner says he's not going to answer anymore. She's not going to answer any more questions about it, which I thought was a little weird since that's kind of the, the hook for the, for the book. That's the new information makes me suspicious about what's really going on, but okay, whatever. Here's my takeaway. I, and this is something you could probably only say on a podcast uh, and, and not create a big problem. It will not surprise me at all if, it, if within five years, Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner has either for real or for attention made an attempt on her own life. Because I think that she is about at the end of the publicity and the attention here which I think drove a lot, not all, a lot of the transition from Bruce to Caitlin. I am more convinced than ever that this was mostly about him getting the crap beat out of him by the Kardashians on the reality show, keeping up with the Kardashians, and him realizing that this was a way that he could get back at them and show them what a big deal he is, and, and this was a way for him to get attention. Now, he claims, or she claims, that all during his male life, that this was an issue for him, that he always thought he was a woman. I call bullshit on this. One, because he was married three times to three attractive women, had six kids. But also, there's never one photograph or even one contemporaneous story of him wearing a dress or girl's shoes, either as a kid or as an adult. I mean, hell, there's there's more pictures of Rudy Giuliani in drag than there is of Bruce Jenner before this whole thing happened. And the other, the, 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 the giveaway is in this interview, one of the, the elements of the narrative is he made or she made a bunch of mistakes after becoming a woman because she wasn't prepared for this. She didn't get it. Like she messed up on the gay marriage thing and she didn't fully understand transgenderism. And so they're using this as an excuse for why Caitlyn Jenner 
made all these mistakes within the transgender community. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're contradicting yourself. Because if this was something that was, as he's, she's now claiming, did throughout his male life, was bothering him, you never did any research? You never thought about it? You never did a Google search? Really? I'm not buying. I'm not buying. I think that for, for many people, not all, many people, transgenderism is, in fact, a mental disorder. And I think gender's mental disorder is based in the narcissistic, megalomaniac need for attention. And that was really brought home more so than ever in that interview with Diane Sawyer. Um, the United Airlines thing happened a couple weeks ago. I also wrote about this, and I, and I am somebody who goes against the conventional wisdom and goes against the grain almost instinctively. And what bothered me about that whole United Airlines, Dr. Dow situation where he got pulled off the plane and bloodied and the Internet mob went crazy, I am very uncomfortable with this idea now of justice by Internet or Twitter mob. I mean, it is, is, to me, it's very scary because the mob almost never gets things right. Almost never. Sometimes by accident, the mob can get it right, but it's just not the right thing to do. It's not the right basis on which to create a firestorm. And I don't know that we still have all the facts on this thing. I, I know for sure that by the time the mob was reacting to it, we didn't have all the facts. But it turned out that the doctor was not your typical doctor. He had been convicted of some really very serious and rather weird crimes. I'm amazed he's even still able to practice uh, medicine in Kentucky, but apparently he is. He also is super weird. Uh, that was obvious from just the portions of the video that that got made public. It's also important to point out, as I already did earlier in this hour with regard to my daughter, Videos in these situations never, ever, 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 ever tell the full story. Inherently. One, because video has its own limitations. But two, because something has to provoke people to start taking the video. And that's the part we're never going to know. What happened first to create this domino effect? We do have on video... The doctor saying that he's going to sue United Airlines before he ever got roughed up. And this is a guy who not only is a criminal, but a guy who apparently was a professional gambler. Now, think about it. As a professional gambler, that's what you do. You calculate percentages instantaneously, and you see what's the best way to go based upon your current circumstances. It is not hard it is not hard to believe that it's certainly possible that this doctor, not a, not a dumb guy, clearly a smart guy, clearly his brain works like this, more than a little weird, career not going well thanks to the convictions, decides instantaneously, aha, this might work for me, and starts to make a scene hoping for exactly what ends up happening. Now, I'm hardly someone that has any love for airlines, <laughs> or United. And that's part of what drove the mob here. People hate air airlines, right? Because most of the time, almost everybody has been screwed over by an airline at some point. So they're very unsympathetic. We pay them hundreds and hundreds of dollars 
they have complete control over us, and they often screw us. So they're very unsympathetic. And when the story first breaks, he's an Asian doctor, so he's got like this halo over his head. Oh, this poor isn't an Asian doctor. And I, look, I've had the, part of what really jazzed me up about this is I had a very, very similar set of circumstances happen to me last year when I got carried away by police at the Matt Sandusky speaking engagement in Pennsylvania. You can find that at my website, framingpaterno.com, or just Google it. That was all on video. I think it was way more egregious than what happened to Dr. Dow. One, because my free speech rights and freedom of press rights were being violated. I had done nothing to invalidate my ticket. People don't understand. I get that it sucks, but the airline has the right to invalidate your ticket if they have overbooked, and I realize there's a definition of what's overbooking here, which may not, may or may not have been met. But the reality is he lost the lottery because no one took the bribe to get off the plane. So at that point, his ticket is no longer valid. I get that that sucks. So you want to change that rule? Okay, fine. But guess what that means? If airlines are no longer allowed to overbook, that means fares are going up, folks. That's the reality. I hope I hope when fares go up, and I don't know when or how much they're going to, but if overbooking becomes impossible because of this situation, fares will go up. So I hope you're happy if you were part of the internet mob that made that happen so that this criminal nut job could make millions of dollars, whatever the hell he's going to get, from United Airlines because once the media is on your side, once the mob's on your side, then United, they start acting... Like cowards. And it, this reminded me so much of the whole Penn State thing with regard to the arc of the story. Because people forget that the first reaction Penn State happened to the whole Jerry Sandusky thing was, hold on a second. <laughs> this, the, our guys are innocent. Nothing happened here. And once the media and the public had, they, they wanted no part of that, Penn State completely caved into the fetal position. Well, United did the same thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is... This was not our fault. We did nothing wrong. The, the passenger, you know, may have been at fault here. And the media and the mob didn't stop. In fact, it got worse. Their stock price went down. And so now all of a sudden, total capitulation. Total white flag. And now, of course, the mob and the media uses that as proof to say, aha, see, our initial reaction was vindicated. We were right. No. They just got scared. They just pooped themselves and realized it wasn't worth the fight, so they're going to admit to something they didn't really do that was wrong so that they can cut their losses. That's what United did here. Again, I'm not suggesting that they handled it perfectly or even close to perfectly. It seemed like it could have been handled a hell of a lot better. But this was a this also seems like a perfect storm situation where uh, there was a lot of blame to go around. and. Whether you like it or not, if the airlines lose that right to take you off a plane that is overbooked, that's going to have repercussions. Maybe you're okay with that, but we ought to at least acknowledge that that's the reality. There are going to be some repercussions. Speaking of the Penn State thing, there's a major uh, development behind the scenes that I don't have enough time to get into this week. Probably I'll do that next week. Uh, But I will say that there was an effort by the, the terrorists, and that's what they are, the terrorists, 
who uh, fight me on the truth of that thing, the whole Penn State uh, quote-unquote scandal, which I believe never happened, there was an effort to get me fired from my job at Mediate as a columnist over the last couple of weeks, which I thought was really funny. And I was even rather disappointed because they put up a petition at change.org to get me fired from Mediate because I had the gall to actually tell the truth about some of the accusers in the case who are complete and total frauds. And the last time I checked, and I haven't checked in about a week or so, they only got 22 supporters to their petition, which is really pretty sad. I mean, I would have, I would have liked to have thought that I warranted more than just a, you know, a couple of dozen people supporting my firing. So needless to say, that has not happened. And you can find my columns that I do for media. I did several of them since our last podcast at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, make sure you tune into hour number two for our really great guest, Lee Stranahan. Fascinating discussion uh, about his transition from working for Breitbart.com to doing a talk show for effectively the Russian government and a whole lot of other things. That's in hour number two. As always, I only ask two things of you. If you like this podcast, share it via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. I will certainly help that along. Uh, or just by word of mouth, because that's about the only way people are going to find out about this uh, podcast, which I think does have some important and unique things to say. The second thing I always ask is really for your own benefit. If you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, make sure you pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.